I'm so glad to see so many faces this morning, glad to see that the rain that we had on Friday and the possible tornadoes that were coming north side of Leon County and Gadsden County didn't wash everybody away. And uh, it's, it's amazing to me to see how much can change in a week, isn't it? I mean, just this past Sunday, if, if you think about what this stage looked like just a week ago, I mean, we had three crosses over here. We had the Lord's Supper table up here on the backside. We had the tomb of Jesus Christ over here. And just a week ago, we got to see three different times, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, we got to see the gospel of Jesus Christ played out on this stage. We got to see with our eyes what we celebrate every time we think about Easter and every Easter Sunday when we wake up and do baskets and bunnies and eggs and all of those great things. The real reason that we celebrate Easter weekend. But it's amazing to me how much can change in a week because today it looks kind of dull up here. I mean, really, the only thing up here to hold your attention today besides all of this stuff is me, and that's, I mean, that's kind of disappointing for me. I can't imagine what it is for you. But in a week, things can change drastically. And sometimes it can actually feel like when we celebrate something as amazing as Easter and as important in our spiritual lives as the, what that represents, it's amazing to me how we can get to Monday after Easter, and that can almost seem anticlimactic because it's been such a big deal. Friday, we talk about the death of Jesus Christ. Saturday, he's in the tomb. Sunday, he is risen. He's alive. And we celebrate that. And then we get to Monday, and it's back to our regular schedule. It's back to work. It's back to school and chores and all of those things that we do on a daily basis. And we can sometimes almost wonder, okay, that was wonderful on Sunday, but now what do I do on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or even the Sunday after that? And we're left with this question sometimes of, what's next? Now that we've celebrated this amazing thing, this person of Jesus Christ, what is next in our life? What's next in our walk with him? And this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the book of Philippians with you, specifically Philippians chapter 3, so you can go ahead and open there if you've got your Bibles this morning. And Paul, who was writing this letter to the church of Philippi, he actually addresses this idea of what's next. He's talking about... The Christian life, he's talking about some of his experiences, and he looks at this idea of what is next, because what's going on here is Paul helps us understand, and I'm going to tell you right now what the answer to that question is. The answer to that question is the church answer. It's Jesus. What's next is Jesus and our walk with him every single day, because every morning that we wake up, we get to start that walk that day. Every morning that we wake up, we get to move a little bit further along with him if we choose to do so. And that's what Paul's talking about in this passage in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 12. And the first thing that we see here when it comes to our walk with Christ is that every single day, we've got to wake up and we've got to be dissatisfied. Now understand me here. There's, There's different levels of being dissatisfied. For instance, when you go out to lunch today... And you order your food, and the waiter brings you the wrong thing. You're probably going to be dissatisfied, aren't you? I know I am. Of course, I'll usually just eat it because I'm hungry, and it doesn't matter what it is. Or there's the level of dissatisfaction. How many of you filled out a bracket for March Madness? Raise your hand because I know there's a bunch of you. And you find out in the second round that the teams that you picked lost And now you have to sit there and stare at that bracket for the next month and know that you are not going to win the office pool anymore? See, that's not the kind of dissatisfaction Paul is talking about. 
Paul is talking about the idea that we have to be dissatisfied where we are in our walk with Christ. Knowing that no matter how far we've come, no matter what we've experienced so far, it's not good enough yet. It's good. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But it's not good enough. We can't stop there. We can't rest there. That's why he starts off here in verse 12. Here's what he says. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, before we get too far into this, I want to make sure I point something out that Paul's going to start talking about. You guys probably, or some of you probably have that friend who can work some kind of a sports analogy into every conversation, whether it be football or baseball or something as obscure as curling. I've known people that can do that. It's really weird. But you know somebody that can do that. Well, Paul's kind of the same way. For whatever reason, as you read through Scripture, you'll see in 1 Corinthians, you'll see in Galatians, and we'll see it here in Philippians as well, Paul's thing is racing. He likes to talk about racing. He likes to to talk about running towards the prize and training his body. So we're going to see that as it plays out a little bit later here. I just didn't want you to think Paul's too weird because we really all know people like that. But that's not his main focus. What he's talking about here is here we get a glimpse of the heart and the mind of who Paul is. We see a self-awareness that Paul, of his own standing in Christ, we see where he sees himself in his relationship with Christ. He's dissatisfied, and he's clearly communicating that dissatisfaction in what he's saying here. He is not satisfied with his walk in Christ, and we can't be either. Now, this is huge coming from Paul, because if if you know anything about Paul, at this point, when Paul is writing this letter, this is some 30 years after he has become a disciple of Jesus Christ. 30 years. And in that time, Paul has done unbelievable things. He has started numerous churches. He has made many disciples of Jesus Christ. He has traveled all over the known world to tell people about who Jesus is. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been mocked and stoned and shipwrecked as a prisoner. In all of these things, he says, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. All of these things that he's experienced in this, what is really a a short 30-year period, and these are just the things he wrote down. We don't know if there's more. In all of those things, Paul looks at his life and says, I've experienced all of this in my walk with Christ. And in the middle of all of this, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. In all of that time, in all of that experience, Paul says, I'm not done. I'm dissatisfied. I'm not the man I'm supposed to be that God has created me to be yet. What he's referring to, if not obtained yet, is what he talks about in verses 8 through 11 just before that. Let's jump back a little bit and see what he says. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says all of that, all of those things I've lost, I set aside because of what I'm pursuing. And I'm still not there. He is to the point where he fully knows, or he fully understands that he is not 
He can't grasp completely the righteousness of Jesus Christ is what he says through faith. He doesn't fully know or grasp the power of the resurrection. And, And understand this, if you're at a point in your life where you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, where you have asked him to forgive you of your sins, you do know the power of the resurrection, but you don't know it fully yet. And that's what Paul's saying. In all of his experience, it doesn't matter where we are, we still don't fully grasp who God is and what God wants to reveal in our lives. We haven't truly shared in his sufferings. Paul has suffered, but he says, I still haven't truly shared in the sufferings of Christ. All that he has experienced, he's not there yet. He knows there's more to be done. He knows that there is more to learn. And he declares that he must press on in order to draw closer to Jesus. Now, here's why that part matters for us. Sometimes I'm too easily satisfied. Sometimes in my walk with Christ, we, we, we lose sight of what it is God has called us to do. And that happens so easily. And it happens for every one of us because we get mired down in the tyranny of the urgent. We start getting bogged down in, in bills and family matters and work and sports and kids running in all different directions and all of these different things that happen on daily life. And those things start pulling our attention and all of a sudden we lose our focus on Christ. And, and I'm pretty sure I'm probably not the only one that that happens to. And then I start getting satisfied of, you know what? I did my quiet time today. Check the box. Hey, I came to church on Sunday. Check the box. I came to church on Wednesday. Check the box. I gave my tithe. Check the box. And we think because we're doing those things, we're drawing closer to Christ. When the whole time, we're really just checking the box. We're making sure the task is done. And we do that because we get satisfied. We think, okay, I'm doing the right things. I'm where I need to be. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not killing anybody. I'm not committing any of the major sins that I think are out there. So I'm okay. But we're not. You see, we we can't be so easily satisfied. We've got to look at our walk with Christ and look at this daily struggle that we have in trying to follow him and realize that it doesn't matter how good we think we are how well we think we're doing on a daily basis when it comes to our spiritual duties, we have not arrived yet. There's more to do. There's more to learn. And Paul reminds us and instructs us here that we have got to be dissatisfied with our current location in our walk with God. We must press on. We must focus to pursue Christ and pursue his holiness every day. And we do this not because we are great Christians that have it all together. We do this because Christ first loved us. That's what he says in 1 John 4, 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. That pressing onward, that pursuing Christ that Paul talks about, we do that because Jesus first pursued us. He came after us. Now, he didn't do it for us. He did it for his glory. He did it for his father because it showed his justness and his glory and his mercy and his holiness. But we're the recipients of that. He loved us enough to give us those things so that we can turn around now and press into him. That that unyielding love that we saw played out on the cross here just last week and that we saw step out of the tomb just seven days ago. That's God pursuing us. And in turn, we get to turn around and we get to pursue 
him, that declaration of his love and his holiness can play out in our life as we strive to show that love and to experience that holiness on a daily basis. And here's where we keep going from there. Once we realize that we're dissatisfied, once we know that we can do more, that we can go farther in our walk with Christ, we get the opportunity to start to see what could be. Look at what it says in chapter 3, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, Paul, Paul repeats himself at times, and he does it here again. Is just a reminder, guys, I'm still not who I'm supposed to be in Christ, but at this point, we get some practical application. He says, I'm not there yet, but here's something that I do, and something that, that might help us. You, you could call it focus. You know, we get distracted when we see all these other things, or we spend time looking behind us, and we don't focus on who Jesus is and what Jesus has called us to do. This, this reminds me, I love movies. This reminds me of a video clip, and I'm going to show you one from a movie. It was a Karate Kid remake back in 2010, and it's all about focus. Daniel, if you would, go ahead and throw that up there. She used her chi on last night, didn't she? Very good. you got to teach me that, like, how to control people. There's only one person you need to learn how to control. Empty your mind. Flow with my movement. Connect to the energy around you. I kind of just want to learn the cobra thing. Cobra takes a lifetime. Requires great focus. But I have great focus. Your focus needs more focus. Your focus needs more focus. Now, if you paid attention, you caught the line just before that where Mr. Han was talking. And he said what, what, what Jay wanted to learn required a lifetime of training and focus. That's what we're talking about here this morning. We don't get to the point where we say, okay, God, I'm here. I'm ready. I know everything I need to know. I've arrived. I don't have to strive anymore. I don't have to press into you anymore. No, it takes a lifetime. It's every day pushing towards him. And in order to be able to do that, Sometimes our focus needs more focus. Sometimes we've got to pay a little bit more attention to who God is and a little bit less attention to everything that's going on around us. That doesn't mean those things aren't important. Don't get me wrong. They are. We've been given responsibilities, and God tells us to take care of our responsibilities. But we can do that while we're focusing on him. And that's why Paul says here, he says, the one thing I do, focusing on the one thing straining to what lies ahead so that nothing else serves as a distraction or a detractor from that one thing. Now, we've got to understand this. That one thing, again, it's not the only thing. We have other responsibilities. And and I, I stress that because there have been people in history who have said, you know what, Christ is my focus, God is my focus, and I'm not going to worry about anybody else. I'm not going to worry about my family or my job. I'm just going to focus on Christ. And they neglect those responsibilities. No, that's, that's not what we're supposed to do. We've got to take care of those, but we do that because we're serving Christ. We do that because we're pursuing Christ. And, and we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. But unfortunately, as I said earlier, we tend to get distracted. 
Things take our focus off of who God is. And sometimes we even find ourselves dabbling in other things. Maybe even other spiritual ideas. Okay? We see those things creep into the church. And, and, and when I preached probably about a year ago, we talked about some of those sayings that are common of, you know, how God helps those who help themselves. Nowhere in the Bible. That comes from Greek mythology and a story about Hercules, about the gods help them who help themselves. And you see, we start to dabble in some of those things, and it's not that those things are bad, but those things take our focus away from who Christ is. And you've probably heard the phrase before, you can't be a jack of all trades and master of none. So you've got to focus on Christ. Now, you will never master Christ. He will be your master. He will be my master. But as we do that, everything else flows from there. It begins to affect every other relationship and every other responsibility that we have. And as we do that, you know, Paul starts talking about being a runner here. For a runner, here's the thing. If you're a runner, any runners in here? Like you run on a regular basis? There's a couple of you. Okay. When you're running, and I have found this out the hard way. If you start paying attention to things that are going on around you, like you're running down the road and you start looking at a house and you don't see that crack in the sidewalk, you're going to wind up flat on your face. I can say that because I've done that. Or if you're in a race and you start paying attention to all the other runners, in fact, you want to know how far out in front you are, and as you're running, you start looking behind you, you're going to fall flat on your face and you're going to injure yourself and you're probably going to injure other people. It's the same way in our walk with God. As we're pursuing him, Yes, we know other people are beside us pursuing him. And we are supposed to help those people. And we are supposed to encourage those people. Where we fall into trouble is when we, be, when we begin to be consumed by where those people are with Christ and comparing ourselves to them. That's what you do in a race when you're looking at the other runners. You're comparing how far away they are, how far behind you they are, and you're worried about what they're doing compared to what you're doing. And when we do that in our walk with Christ, we get distracted from what Christ has called us to do. You encourage other people. You help other people. You push them forward. But you can't compare where you are to where somebody else is. Because when you do that, you're going to lose focus on what God has called you to do. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's what he means when he says, or when we talk about our focus. And here's what we have to understand too. Paul makes this comment here about forgetting what is in the past. We can't really forget what is in the past, can we? I mean, you think about your life, you remember the good things, you remember the bad things. And that's okay because those are part of who you are. Those have served to help create, make you the person that God has made you into today. But here's the danger we run into. When we spend all of our time looking back, sometimes we spend all of our time looking back on the bad things. And we look back on the bad things, and and even though I'm a believer, even though I'm a Christian, even though I follow Christ, here's what I did before. And I, I, I can't get rid of the guilt and the shame that comes from those things in my past or maybe those things in your recent past since you've become a believer. But you see, that's a wrong view of God because when we have that guilt and that shame after we know we've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, we're telling God, you're not strong enough. You're not powerful enough to really forgive my sin because it's still that bad. And that's not who God is. 
Scripture tells us that sin is gone. As far as the east is from the west, it's gone. And that shame and that guilt is released by the freedom that we find in Jesus Christ. So that's why when he talks about not focusing on the past, we can't focus on those bad things that we think we did because that's not who we are in Christ anymore. But we also can't spend all of our time focusing on the good things we've done in Christ. And let me tell you, as individuals and as church, not just this church, but a lot of churches, we can be really bad about that. We can sit here and think, you know what? When we did that revival 15 years ago and 200 people in one week gave their life to Christ, that was awesome. We should do that again. Or when we did that neighborhood thing and we handed out 60 tracks to different families two years ago, that was really cool that we did that. And we think we did this and we did this and we did this and we have a great history. And as North Florida Baptist Church, we have a great history in this community. Temple Baptist Church before that. But we can't camp out there. Those are amazing things that we've done for God, but we've got to look forward. What are the things that as individuals and as a church we can do in our community right now to show people who Christ is? What are the things that we can start planning to do a year from now, five years from now, ten years down the road that can show our community who Jesus Christ is? You see, we've got to make sure that we don't focus so much on what has happened before that we lose sight of where God is calling us today and down the road. And that is exactly what Paul is talking about. I focus on the one thing. I put what is in the past behind me so that I can focus on who God is. And when we do that, we keep our eyes on him because what if, what if God has something greater for our future than he had in our past? Our past was great, but what if God's got something more? What if God's got something more than we ever imagined ahead of us or right in front of us right now that we can't see because we're too busy looking behind? Paul says, look ahead. Focus on what's ahead because when you do that, we can finally start to make Christ our center. We make him the center of every single thing that we do. Look at what he says in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. His focus, Paul's goal, is the same thing that ours should be, to have Christ at the center of everything in your life. Now, Paul said right here at the beginning that he desired to make Christ his everything because Christ made Paul his own. And then even several, a little bit further back, several of the verses that Paul talks about here in Philippians, he makes reference to when he met Christ. In fact, it's in verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says, I was was a zealot. I was excited. I was aggressive about pursuing Christians. 
about stomping out the name of Jesus Christ. That was his goal. That's what he was in the process of doing. And then in the middle of that, Christ changed him. But think about the excitement he had when he was pursuing Christians. Think about how aggressively he went to the Romans. He got letters to go out to the churches to take Christians prisoner, to take them back to Rome, to have them on trial, or even just have them killed. He was aggressive. He was excited. He went after what he wanted to go after, and he made it happen. Sometimes we don't have that excitement in the church. Sometimes we treat it like when we're teenagers now or when we were teenagers and our parents told us to clean up our room. And you'll walk in your room and you kind of walk around and kick some stuff. Oh, that'll fit under the bed. And you pick up that dirty sock. And I never understood this. You'll smell it to see if it's dirty. And after you're done with your head spinning and you can see straight again because it's three weeks old, you throw it back on the floor. And you might pick up a book every five minutes and put it on the shelf because you don't really want to do it, right? You're not excited about it. And that's, that's the way we pursue Christ sometimes. Okay, I'm, I'm coming to church. Oh, we're singing. Oh, how many songs are we going to sing today? That one's really slow. I almost fall asleep every time. And that's, that's the way we treat our pursuit of Christ. We can't do our quiet time because we don't even know where our Bible is. Or if we do... It's so dusty because we haven't picked it up in so long. We don't want to touch it because it might irritate our allergies. You see, that's, that's the way we pursue Christ sometimes. And I say all that because I know I have that attitude sometimes. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about this idea that he was, he was excited. He was ready to go. Some of you guys in here on Sunday mornings, you come in here, and I come in here tired on Sunday mornings sometimes, but... You know, you stay up late watching the basketball game or playing an online game. And adults, I'm not just talking to teenagers right now. And we're tired and we don't really want to be here. We're here because it's what we're supposed to do. Paul pursued Christians with an aggression that was unstoppable until he met Christ. And then after that, he pursued Christ with that same aggression, that same excitement, that same zeal, that same fervor, whatever word you want to use. That is how he went after Jesus Christ. He made Christ the center of his life, and it affected everything he did from that point on. Every conversation he had, every person he met, every act he took was affected by who Jesus was. I found this quote, and I really liked it. It's by uh, the late author, pastor, and speaker, a gentleman named Lehman Strauss. He said this, It is the goal to which all we do will gravitate in regards to our pursuit of Jesus Christ and making him the center of our life. Our relationship with Christ, our pursuit of him, it should draw everything else in our life to itself. It should be the center. It should be something that gravitates everything else to that because scripture tells us that when we have Jesus Christ in our life, when he is our center, it should affect everything else. We see it time and time again in scripture and too many people see Jesus as an accessory to their life instead of the center of their life. Paul says we've got to make him the center. 
We've got to make him the thing that we pursue, the thing that we go after. It is a hunger and a thirst for the very presence and the righteousness and the holiness and the mercy and the grace of God in our lives. And when Paul is writing this in John MacArthur's commentary on Philippians, here's how he describes Paul at this point. He says, while Paul was still subject to temptation, still possessed an unredeemed flesh, and was still a sinner. In the midst of all of those failings, Paul is pressing toward the goal to have Jesus Christ at the center of his life. And it is imperative that we do the same thing as believers. It's imperative. Because how else is a world going to know who Jesus is if they don't see him in the people who say they are disciples of Jesus? We've got to pursue Christ the way Paul is talking about here. When you pursue Christ, when you make him the center of everything, everything in your life will be affected by that. Your marriage, your children, your job, your entertainment, your hobbies, everything will be affected by who Jesus is is. And if we are to be dissatisfied with where we are, and we really want to see what could be in our walk with Christ, then we have got to make him the center of our lives. And when we do that, we're going to come to a hard truth. See, this is kind of a progressive thing here. You're going to find this out, and I don't like this. You're going to realize you don't know it all. When it comes to God, you don't know it all. And it doesn't matter how many Bible studies you've been to, and how many commentaries you had, and how many pastors you listen to throughout the week from different sermons around the country, you still don't know it all. None of us do. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 3.15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, I, I like this phrase here, those of us who are mature. Let's camp out there for just a minute. Some people equate maturity with boredom. They think if, if you're going to be mature, and this, this is probably the mindset sometime of teenagers, this is where I keep going because that's who I'm working with all the time, we think about those older people in the church who sit in church just looking for something to complain about. I know because my grandfather was one of them. I understand that. But when we look at what Scripture talks about, it tells us if we have a relationship with Christ, Maturity does not equal boredom. You see, when we have a relationship with Christ, Scripture tells us that we find joy in Him. Okay? If you've got somebody who says, I'm a Christian, and they got a sour face all the time, you may have to look hard, but there should be some joy in there. Maturity doesn't equal boredom. And, and you need to understand this too. Teenagers, kids, there is a time and a place to act mature. And there's a time and a place to have fun. See, what Paul is saying here is that if we have this mindset that we think we've arrived, we think we know it all, we're really not there yet, and our mindset needs to mature. We need to grow up a little bit. It says, and I skipped this verse in Proverbs 17, just as a good reminder, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. If we're a believer in Jesus Christ, if we've been forgiven by his death, his burial, his resurrection, there should be joy in your life. But at some point, there also has to be a maturity. And that's what Paul's talking about here. It's a maturity that leads to an understanding that there is more to be done and there is more to learn about who Jesus Christ is. 
Now, I, I see this playing out in my five-year-old daughter a little bit right now, Michaela. Michaela, and Kathleen has done this with all three of our kids, she's taught them to read pretty early. And Michaela, at, she's what, two, month, two and a half months past being five years old, Michaela is to the point where that, and you, teachers, you know this, you have, those of you who've had kids, you see that light come on. And all of a sudden they realize, I know these words. And they get excited and she starts running to the bookshelf and she's pulling books down and she's reading books, but she's realized that there are some words that she still cannot figure out. She's realized that she doesn't know everything. So she actually came up with a plan for this, to fix this problem. She came to Kathleen the other day and as she was reading a book, she was asking Kathleen some of the words and Kathleen told her, you know, Michaela, I can sit down with you in a little bit and I can help you with the words. And Michaela said, it's okay, mom. I'll follow you around and I'll read the book and when I get to a word I don't understand, then you can tell me what that word is. So she's overcome that plan, but she's to the point that she's realized she doesn't know everything, but she's figured out how to learn more. She's figured out how to press on, how to keep moving forward and not getting stuck where she is. And that's the same thing that we have to do. That is exactly what Paul is talking about here. That we have got to realize that we may be in a great place with Christ, but we are still not where we're supposed to be. And we don't know everything about him. In fact, Paul makes reference in another chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, He says this, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. See, what Paul is reminding us here is at some point, we do have to grow up. We cannot remain spiritual babies in our faith for the rest of our lives. We cannot expect that the only time that we are fed by God's word is when we show up here on a Sunday or on a Wednesday and somebody says, here you go. See, at some point, we've got to open the Bible on our own time and do our own study. We've got to start taking it in and feeding ourselves. You all would look horrible if the only time you ate was once a week when you showed up here on Sunday morning. You eat the rest of the week, right? Two, three times a day, four or five if you're me. You eat because you know you need it to keep growing. You know you need it to stay alive. It's the same way in our spiritual life. With God, we've got to pursue him. We can't just expect somebody to hand it to us once a week. We've got to do it on our own every single day. For some people, it may be once a day. It may be two, three, four times a day. I don't know what that looks like in your life. That's between you and God. But what we have to do is we have to start growing up spiritually. We have to start maturing. And as we do that, as we pursue God, we start to understand, wow, I never knew that before. Ladies and gentlemen, there are passages... I. I gave my life to Christ when I was 14 years old. I'm 40 now. That's a long time. At least it feels like it's a long time. And there's passages that I have read over and over and over again. And then I flip to them one day and I see something that I never saw before. God shows me something that somehow for 20 some odd years, I just missed it. You see, when we get to the point that we're mature enough spiritually to realize that we don't know it all, God can start to show us new things. And as he does that, we begin to grow into that maturity in Christ and we become even more aware that I really don't know everything I need to know about God. I'm really not where I need to be yet. In fact, we have to be careful because sometimes our tendency is to have a higher opinion of our spiritual maturity than we should have. 
we think, I'm here. I've arrived. I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm leading a Bible study. I've been asked to pray on Sunday mornings. I give my tithe. I'm here. I got it. I'm good. But you see, Scripture actually warns us about churches that saw themselves that way. In the book of Revelation, here's what it says, chapter 3, verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Or how about this one? Revelations 3, in verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. What, you, what that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, as, as believers, we've got to also be on guard. Yes, we need to grow and we need to mature spiritually, but we need to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to get to the point where we think, okay, I've got it all together and everybody else around me, they're just falling apart because they're not where I am. See, that's why we see these warnings to these churches here because sometimes we can have that attitude and there's a danger in seeing myself either better or worse than I am. There's a real danger in that. At best, if I think I'm better than God sees me, then I'm, I'm just pious enough to think I've, I've arrived where God wants me. And with that, with that view, I find myself judging other people around me. Well, they're, they're not as far along as I am. Well, oh, they're, they're, still, they're still struggling with that sin. I've conquered that one. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm, I'm a little bit better than they are. At worst, we see ourselves worse than we are. And we think we will never measure up to God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. And that goes back to that wrong view we have of the power of God and the fact that he has forgiven us of everything if we walk in him and his power has overcome everything. Neither one of those views is maturity in our walk with God. Maturity is this. It's knowing that you and I will never measure up to who God is, but Jesus Christ has already stepped in and filled that gap. He has already paid that price. That's what spiritual maturity is. And even though Jesus has already filled that gap, in order for us to mature, we have to pursue Christ because he's the one that's leading us to God. That's what it means when we realize we don't know everything yet. But as we pursue Christ, we learn, we grow. Now that verse, that's also a challenge here. This goes back to his running references. It's a challenge for those of us who would sit in church and criticize everything. The music, the sermon, the flowers, the chairs. I really don't like this carpet. Everything. And yet never, ever realize that there is application to the word of God that they are in the midst of hearing. It's a challenge to step into the arena of following Christ instead of sitting on the sideline thinking, I'm good here. I'll just watch. See, Paul tells us our job as Christians is to pursue Christ. And you can't pursue something and stand still. You can't. It's not possible. We have got to get up and we have got to move and we've got to pursue who Christ is. And then he goes on here in this last verse and we'll wrap it up here. Paul says this. 
He says that we need to cling to what is true. Verse 16 says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul rounds this passage out with a reminder, something that we need to remember, to remember what you have learned and experienced God to be. To be consistent in your walk, not to grow weary, not to grow faint, not to be led astray by intriguing new ideas and theologies, not to be led astray from the truth that you know God's word to be by the latest self-help book that is put out by a popular pastor or a self-help guru or whoever that is. Everything that we do, everything that we know about God, everything that we encounter in the world, it's got to be taken captive and compared to his word. Hold to what you know is true. We did this with the students about a year ago for Wednesday nights for the entire summer. We went through a biblical world series. And we looked at how scripture addresses topics like economics and politics and sociology and psychology. And how every area of our life has to be taken captive to the truth of scripture. Because the fact is, there are constants here that you will find nowhere else in the world. This is where we learn who God is. This is where we learn about how God is unchanging, how God is faithful, how God is loving, how God can be angry. This is where we learn those truths. And as we live this out, he reveals truths in our lives. And it's different for every one of us. My walk with Christ is not going to look like Roger Wynn's walk with Christ. It's not going to look like your walk with Christ or your walk with Christ. It's not going to look the same. And we need to understand that, that as we're making our journey with Jesus Christ, that there are other people around us making this same journey, but God doesn't necessarily reveal himself to them the same way he reveals himself to me. And some, sometimes we have that habit of, well, they're just, a, they're just a baby Christian. They just don't know any better, and they just need to get their act together. Well, maybe God hasn't revealed some things to them yet that he showed you five, ten years ago. So, guys, Christianity is not a competition. Yeah, Paul talks about it as a race. But it's not a competition. It's something that we're doing together. It's something that we have the opportunity to encourage one another, to push each other forward, to help each other. You You don't let go of everything in the past. You need to remember it. But don't let it hold you back. You see, until we get to the point in our walk with Christ where we are dissatisfied, when we know that we are not where we need to be, when we are not the men and women God created us to be, we will not see what could be until that time comes. As we do that, we start to make Christ the center of our life. We pursue him, we see him, and we realize we don't know everything. But one thing you do know is that you can hold to what is true. You can hold to who God is and who God has revealed himself to be in your life through his word, through his resurrection. You can hold true to who God is. So here's my question, my challenge for you today. Where are you on that? What's next for you? Maybe it's the first step. You just got to be dissatisfied with where you are. You know that your life is not reflecting the relationship and the God that you say you believe in. You've got to be dissatisfied with it because that is the only way your view will ever change of God. That is the only way you will ever move forward and be able to pursue him. That is the only way you will be able to echo those last words of that song. 
I will boast, I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom.